All right, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. If you're using the Black Bibles um, that the church provides, it's on page 815. We're going to begin in verse 16 today. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Last week, we saw that Jesus was sending out the 12 apostles as an extension of his ministry to the towns of Israel. But now, as we come to verse 16, the the audience broadens. Uh, Jesus is no longer simply instructing the 12 apostles on their uh, specific mission to Israel. Rather, from verse 16 on, Jesus is warning all of his disciples for all time. (laughs) So us, us as well today. He's warning all his disciples for all time of the kind of reception that they will receive as they go out for him. And the reason we know this focus uh, has broadened is because these verses speak of witnessing to Gentiles and being brought before rulers and and things that weren't going to happen to the 12 apostles on that first mission to Israel. So we know that that Jesus is, is applying this for all disciples of all time. Really what we have now in the rest of Matthew chapter 10 is an extended teaching on discipleship. And so this morning we want to consider verses 16 through 25. So would you stand with me please in honor of God's word? Let me read the text that we we want to uh, study this morning. Matthew chapter 10 verses 16 through 25. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Thanks be to God for his word. May he add his blessing now to the preaching of his word. Please be seated. I have a question for you this morning. What should you expect when you follow Jesus? I think that's a very relevant question for us, isn't it? I mean, if we're a Christian, we claim to be a follower of Christ. We, we claim to be following Jesus. So what should we expect as we follow Jesus? If you commit to, to trusting in Jesus as your Savior, to following him as Lord, what should you expect in your life? What should it look like? Well, I think we could probably uh, think of several things, couldn't we? When you follow Jesus, it, you should expect to have peace. 
right? Rest for your soul. Jesus said that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. And so we, we should expect to, to have that, that, that peace of knowing that our sins are forgiven and that we're reconciled with God. Another thing we should expect when we follow Jesus is joy, right? The joy, again, of knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we're um, adopted into God's family, and then that ongoing joy of, of intimate fellowship with the Father, with our Savior. We should expect to experience new life, right? Jesus comes that we would have life, abundant life, he says, transformed character and growth, uh, finally living as we were created to live, to know God, to, to, to image God, to bring glory to God. We should expect all these things, shouldn't we? But in God's, God's word today, the passage we want to study, Jesus tells us something else we should expect as we follow him. I don't know if you noticed it as, as we read. It's persecution. Right? We should expect persecution as we follow Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 10, verses 16, and following uh, even further than we're going to get to today. He's telling his followers to expect persecution. And he's saying it not so that they will dread it, not so that they will live in fear. Later he's going to say, don't be afraid, right? But he, he's telling them so that when it happens... For one, they will not be shocked, right? They'll not abandon their faith. They'll, they'll know how to respond. And this, that's very kind of Jesus because what we see in the Bible and even in our experiences, we see that some people, some who claim to be followers of Christ, do abandon the faith. They, they, we see it in, in, the, in the scriptures, in the gospels, that People saw Jesus perform great miracles. They heard him teach with authority. They got excited. They said, yes, this is what I want. I want to follow Jesus. This is, this is amazing, right? And they followed him, but then as they start hearing about the cost or as they start experiencing the cost, uh, as they start suffering because of following Jesus, they say, no, 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 wait a minute. This is not what I want. They decide that the hardship is not worth, um, that Jesus is not worth the hardship that it's bringing. And so they, they quit following him. They become disillusioned. Jesus is going to talk about this later in, in chapter 13 when he gives the parable of the soils. He talks about one particular kind of soil that's called the rocky soil. Let me just read for you Matthew thirteen twenty. He says, as for what was sown, as the word of God is sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see, that's what happens when, when following Jesus starts to cost something or brings persecution. Some people are surprised, they're disillusioned, and they say, I don't want this. And they fall away. But praise God, Jesus, our good shepherd, this morning in Matthew 10, he's preparing us. He's warning us of coming persecution. He's teaching us how we can endure it by God's grace so we can persevere in following Christ. And so today we want to consider 
verses 16 through 25 of Matthew 10. And I'm going to give you two headings today. They'll be very simple. The first one is this, persecution expected. Persecution expected. That's really the thrust of this, of this passage, is he's just, he's just detailing for them the, the fact that they should expect persecution from following him. Look at how he starts off the passage, verse 16. This is kind of amazing, right? We've, we've talked about the shepherd analogy a few times in Matthew already. He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> That's a picture for you, isn't it? <laughs> you're, it's kind of like, we're like, wait, what? Jesus, you're, you're sending sheep out in the midst of wolves? How's that going to go? Right? I mean, wolves are predators. Right? Sheep are defenseless. They're, they're vulnerable. They're the prey. So that sounds hard. That sounds dangerous, right? To send out sheep, send us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. But Jesus says, that's, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's the plan. But I'm telling you ahead of time, right? I'm warning you. That's what verse 17 says. Beware of men. Beware of these wolves. We'll come back to the wisest serpents and innocence does later. Verse 17, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And, and now he just starts detailing different kinds of persecution. And notice the, the language that he uses. They will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. 18, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them in the Gentiles. Verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious, right? And then we'll, we'll talk about that later. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. I mean, do you, did you notice he's not saying if? Right? He's not saying may. He's saying when they persecute you, you will be delivered over. So he's saying expect it. Expect it, guys. This is going to happen. And, and again, he's, he's kind of talking about different. It'll, it'll come in different forms. We've got the religious persecution, the Jewish religious persecution here about being delivered over to courts and flogged in their synagogues. And then in verse 18, you've got like the civil persecution being brought before uh, the governors and the kings and the Gentile governors and kings, it's saying. Uh, you've even got uh, family persecution, right? Divisions within the family in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents. He'll talk more about that in the verses that Lord willing will consider next week, like 35, I believe it is, but... Um, we see that in the world today, don't we? And I'm sure the, the first century Christians experience that where own family members are turn against those who, who claim Christ, right? You know, we, we hear about that often in, in these different um, cultures or, or religions that, that are high on honor, right? Like Islam or, you know, and if a family member would come to Christ, you know, the family is, the, the rest of the family is so outraged and, and and so um, angry about that, that for the sake of their honor, they, they turn over, they deliver over their own flesh and blood to whatever authorities 
to be persecuted. They disown their family because of Christ. And did you notice, so Jesus is is explicitly talking about the certainty of persecution, and did you notice he says why they will be persecuted? Right? Did you catch that? Look at verse 18. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. See it again down in verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. And he's going to explain that more in verses 24 and 25. But you see, he's saying, guys, you are going to be persecuted because of me, because you're identifying with me, because you're following me. And that reminds us that some things, right? Some things that we need to be very clear on. One is the nature of this world, that we live in a fallen world, and that this world is is opposed to Christ, right? Um, we can trace our history back and say that Christianity helped influence the founding of this country, and, and you know a case can be made for that, but we do not live in a Christian country, okay? We live in a fallen world. There's really no such thing as a Christian country with borders anymore in the New Covenant. It's, now it's the kingdom of God is... is present among the, king, the kingdom of darkness, right? And, and Jesus is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And when Jesus returns and eradicates evil once and for all and creates a new heavens, new earth, then the, the physical, um, his kingdom will become a physical kingdom to the ends of the earth. But no, we live in a fallen world, and this, this world is opposed to Christ. This fallen world, the Bible teaches, is in bondage to sin and evil and, you know, again, when we talk about world, we're talking about the people in the world, right? And, and the world system, because it's the people that, you know, make the, the laws and, and create the culture. And this, this world lives in rebellion against God because of the fall, because of sin. And so think back what the New Testament teaches us, that when, because this world lives in rebellion against God, what happened when Jesus came? What happened when Jesus, God in the flesh, the eternal Son of God who becomes man, what did the world do to him? Well, they manifested their rebellion by by rejecting him, didn't they? By rejecting Jesus. John 1.10 says, Though the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came into this world that he himself created. And he came and was born a Jew and lived among the Jewish people, following the, the law perfectly, never sinning. And, and doing, he was always doing good, and he was telling people about the kingdom of God, but yet by and large, they rejected him. All the way to the point of having him crucified on a Roman cross. Why? Well, again, because by nature, every man is a sinner. Every man and woman is a sinner. And so the sin is rebellion against God. And so sinful mankind says, we will not have God rule over us. We will be the commander of our own ship. We will be the king of our own life. We will not submit to God. And so they, they did not submit to God when he came. They rejected Jesus. 
And just like they rejected Jesus, he says, the world will reject you who follow Jesus. Sorry, the Bible says you, the world will reject you who follow Jesus. Jesus told the, his disciples in the upper room as he was preparing them for his crucifixion, for his departure, he says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. You see, it all goes back to rebellion against God. Rebellion against the Creator, rebellion against God's Son, and then therefore hatred for God's people. So, I've tried to kind of get at the root of why persecution comes, but then even as you think about how that manifests itself, why specifically does the world persecute Christians? Think about that. Why does the world persecute Christians? Well, as I, as I thought about that, I, I could boil it down to a couple of reasons. One is Christians will be persecuted because we proclaim Christ as Lord. Because we proclaim the gospel. Because we believe, we've embraced, and we proclaim the gospel. Remember that this teaching in Matthew 10 is in the context of the disciples going out and proclaiming the gospel. Right? That's what he's been commissioning them to do. And now he's saying, as you go out to do that, as I send you out, you're going to be like sheep among wolves. The risen Lord Jesus Christ has commissioned us, all of us now. Right? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. The risen Lord Jesus Christ says he has all authority and he has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations. We are ambassadors of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, proclaiming the good news that sinners can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But, apart from God's grace, the world hates this truth. They hate this news that Jesus is the only way to God. Because our world is a... Uh, our culture, our, our society, whatever you want to say, is, has, has bought into pluralism. Right? It believes that... Um, you can believe what you want about God, and I'll believe what I want about God, and, and let's just kind of agree, you know, not, not challenge each other on that. But that's not the gospel, right? The gospel says, no, there's only one way to God. It says the gospel is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through him. And so the world hates that message. They will not accept that message apart from God, God working in their hearts. Not only does the gospel declare that Jesus is the only Savior, that he's the only way to God, but again, please understand something about the gospel. The gospel is the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. See, it's, it's not only saying, hey, Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners and rose again, paying for the sins of all who believe in him. It is saying that, and that's great news, that you can be forgiven and reconciled to God. But in his resurrection, it's saying that God the Father exalted him to the highest place and that he is Lord of all. 
And so that, that's what we confess, right? As we proclaim the gospel, we're confessing and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. That he's not just one of many religious teachers, you know, that you can kind of admire or whatever. No, it's saying he is Lord. He's, he's Lord. All authority has been given to him. He's coming again someday, and he will judge this whole world. Everyone will stand before him. Every knee will bow before him. That's what we're proclaiming, because that's what the Bible teaches. And, of course, the fallen world hates that, right? Like I said, they don't want God as, as Lord, <laughs> They want to be their own God. They want to be their own Lord. They don't want Jesus as Lord. They don't want Jesus having authority over their lives, over their, over their choices, over their sexuality, over their marriage, over their money, over their pursuits. They don't want that. And so they hate that message. And so Christians will be persecuted. We will be persecuted because of our message, because of our commission to go and proclaim this message. Right? But not only that, right, right alongside that, we will also be persecuted because of our lives. Because as, as disciples, right, what, what does it mean to be a disciple? Right? A disciple is someone who is a learner. Uh, is, it's someone who has submitted to Christ as Lord and wants to learn from him, wants to follow him and learn from him in order to become like him. And so that's what the Christian life is about. We're saying, Jesus, uh, teach me, change me by your word, by your spirit. Be conforming me more and more into the image of Christ, which we know now because God has given us new life and opened our eyes. We know that's a beautiful thing, right? What is more beautiful than, than Jesus? But again, how did the world receive Jesus? They didn't. Right? The light of the world Jesus, who is perfect and sinless and, and, and loving, he came in and the darkness hates the light because the light exposes its deeds, right? That's what John was saying in his gospel. And so the, the, more, the more we become like Jesus, the more they're going to hate us. Uh, I read John 1 earlier. Here's John chapter 3. Verse 19, Jesus says, The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So the more we become like Jesus, who's the light of the world, right? Remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount now? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The more his light shines through us, the more likely it is that we will face persecution just like Jesus experienced, because the world doesn't want their deeds exposed. So again, even if we're not out, you know, saying, don't live like that, don't live like that, even as they see how we live, it exposes their deeds. And by God's grace, some, some will be drawn to Christ because of that. But many will be um, offended and angered. Oh, you think, you think you're better, huh? You, you know, and, and they'll uh, accuse us of being, of being hateful and judgmental and things that we're not trying to be. But they don't want their deeds exposed. Again, I, I mentioned the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked about this. 
right? In Matthew chapter 5, at the end of the Beatitudes, um, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Remember, that's, that means for trying to live a righteous life. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So even when we're not trying to be harsh, even when we are trying to be loving, it's a clash of worldviews. And we're called to, I mean, to, as, as, long, as far as it depends on us, live at peace with all, all people. We're called to try to live quiet and peaceable lives as we follow Christ. I mean, in one sense, Christians should be the best citizens of any nation that there are, right? Because we should be honest and, and faithful and hardworking and loving. But inevitably, there's going to be a clash of worldviews, a clash of priorities, because we are following Christ we now belong to the kingdom of God. We no longer belong to this world. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. I've called you out of this world. And so as we pursue the priorities of the kingdom, as we grow in the, in the characteristics of the king, it will clash with this kingdom of darkness. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so that's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 10, that, guys, you're going to be persecuted on account of me. That's, that's what the, the last couple of verses in the text we're reading today uh, make very clear, right? A disciple is not, verse 24 of Matthew 10, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. That's what we're seeking to do. Remember, I said, as being disciples, we're training and learning to become like Jesus, And so Jesus says, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, prince prince of demons, right? Remember, we've seen that just once in Matthew. We're going to see it again even more um, explicitly where they're like, well, yeah, he's doing these miracles, but it's it's by the prince of of demons that he does these miracles. And so Jesus is saying, "If, if I can be right before them bringing in the kingdom of God and doing this good, and yet they, their unbelief and their hard hearts won't accept it, and they they instead twist it and, and accuse me of, of being in cahoots with Satan. He's like, if that's how they treat me, the, the perfect one, the, the son of God, what kind of treatment do you expect to get as you seek to follow me and become like me? And so Christians will be persecuted because of our message and because of our lives, because of our identity with Christ. So, expect persecution, loved ones. Expect it. And as I was um, studying this and and praying about this and just thinking about this sermon, I got to tell you, I was convicted. Personally, I was was convicted for myself. I'm I'm convicted for our church. Um, I'm not making a blanket statement here, but I, I was convicted about this idea of persecution we, we rejoice in the religious freedoms we have in America. Praise God for those. Like I said, we can gather this morning. We're not worried about being arrested or something. Um, 
We recognize that, that those religious freedoms are dwindling before our eyes. And, you know, again, as citizens of this country, under the Constitution, we do have some freedoms. And, and you know, praise God, he raises up people to try to fight for those legally. But I'm, I'm, what, I don't even know how to say it, but what I'm convicted about is just maybe the lack of persecution we're receiving. And God is merciful. I'm not, I'm not wishing persecution on us. But I'm just saying, I, what I'm convicted about is, is the reason I'm not experiencing more persecution. Again, it's not always arresting and killing, right? We know that persecution can be, you know, being disowned by a family, being rejected by men, being, being uh, um, fired from a job or, or withheld from a promotion or, you know, ostracized in some way, some level of shame, on account of Christ, is the reason I'm not experiencing more of that because I'm not proclaiming the message like I should. Right? If, that, if the message is one of the things that brings that persecution, is the reason we're not experiencing more persecution? And some of you are. Is it because we're not being salt and light? We're not proclaiming the message like, like we should. We're not following Jesus and seeking to live like him like we should. In other words, the more we kind of become like this world, the less we're going to experience persecution, right? Because they're going to be like, hey, okay, you're, you're just like us. You're kind of doing your thing. You're not, you're not bothering me. You're not you know, infringing on me in any way. Your life is not convicting me in any way. And so, again, if, if God spares us from persecution by his mercy, then praise God for it. But if, if, it's, if it's because of our um, disobedience and not following Christ, then, then shame on us, right? Shame on us. So, just something I've been thinking about. Just pray about that and see if, if that applies to you. Um, and in saying that, I'm certainly not saying that we should be obstinate or obnoxious or, or hateful or just try to provoke, right? I mean, sometimes people in the name of Christ do that, and, and that's not what Jesus is calling us to do, right? He's calling us to, in love, proclaim the gospel and follow Christ, I mean, 1 Peter 4, the passage that was read to us, um, and, and even earlier texts talk about, you know, if, I think it's chapter 2, it says, you know, there's, if you're going to suffer for being basically a, a bonehead, right, then th- there's, no, there's no credit in that, right? If you're just not, not being a good servant to your master, if you're, if you're not being Christ-like and, and it, you bring... It brings ridicule on you, then there's no credit in that. But he says, as you're following Christ, you should expect persecution. And that's what Brandon read for us, 1 Peter 4. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial, right? As if something strange were happening to you. Because we, Christ has, has walked that road and we follow in his steps. 
So that's the first heading, persecution expected. I'll probably be a little quicker with the second one. Persecution expected. Now, secondly, persecution endured. Persecution endured. And, and Lord willing, I think we'll get into this more next week because in verses 26 and following, we're going to study in earnest how Jesus teaches us not to fear persecution. Okay, this, this passage was mainly saying, expect it. <laughs> but even in this text today, we see some ways that, uh, some teaching, some principles, some truths of how we can endure persecution. And for this, let me just, a couple of very pragmatic ones first. Let's go back to verse 16, the, the very beginning, right? What did Jesus say? Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's interesting, isn't it? We don't usually associate in wanting to be anything like a serpent, right? A serpent is bad. A serpent is, you know, the devil in the garden, right? But what is he pointing to? He's not saying, hey, I want you to bite people and be venomous like serpents. No, he's saying, I want you to be wise as serpents. And they... They lived around snakes more than I do. Some of you live out in the country, live around snakes more. So it would resonate with you even more. But I think what he's getting at is serpents are very um, skillful at survival. Right? You know, they're, you know, they're hard to catch. They, 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 they kind of keep in the shadows. They kind of, you know, they don't leave themselves vulnerable and exposed very often. Right? To me, it made me think more of like a cat. But... That just shows how, what a city dweller I am, right? But no, he's saying, I want you to be wise as serpents. A serpent has the ability to avoid harm. And so again, this is what I said just a minute ago. Jesus is not saying, hey, you know, I want you just to kind of like skip into a den of wolves and just, you know, poke them all in the eye, you know, and, and then get persecuted and think that you're, you know, some martyr or something. He's saying, no, don't. Don't be dumb, right? You, be shrewd. I want you to be innocent as doves. I want you to have good character, right? Be godly and, you know, try to avoid persecution if you can, but it's going to come. But don't bring it upon yourself unnecessarily. Don't go looking for it. That's what he's saying, right? Another pragmatic piece of counsel he gives um, is flee. <laughs> Did you notice that? Uh, let's see. I didn't write down what verse that was. Verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So again, he, you know, that's interesting, isn't it? He's saying... If, if persecution comes and you're able, then flee. Right? Again, there's... Obviously, when you're brought before courts, then you need to testify to Christ. Don't shrink back, and, and he's going to help you do that. But he's saying, you know, if you can avoid arrest, then avoid arrest. Right? And we see the Apostle Paul. Um, he, he fled, right? When he was on his missionary journeys and persecution would come. They were, he had to flee. He had to leave Thessalonica and other places, right? And so Jesus is saying, hey, flee. Flee if, if you can. 
Um, that's kind of part of that being shrewd as serpents, right? When possible, flee. By the way, he says until this, you know, 23 is kind of interesting because it kind of circles back to, I think, bringing in part of this mission to Israel because he says, um, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And there's some dispute about that. Does that, does that mean, that, is that a reference to the second coming? Some people take it that way. Um, I think it very likely could be a reference to his resurrection and exaltation, right? Son of man, he's, we've talked about that before. That's out of Daniel 7, the one who's given authority and power, and Jesus was given that, um, certainly at his resurrection, at his exaltation. And so it seems like he's circling back to talk about the, the, the Israel mission, and he's saying, hey, remember, once I'm risen and exalted, then the commission's going to go out into all the world, Right, Matthew 28. And so the mission's going to go global, and up till that time, yeah, your mission's going to be focused on Israel. That seems to be what he's saying there. So there's a couple of pragmatic um, counsels, I guess you could say. But then in this text, I see two uh, truths that will help us endure persecution. Number one is a divine purpose. Look at verse 18. He says, And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. But then look at what it says at the end. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? Jesus explains that persecution is God's way of spreading the gospel further. Persecution is in itself a platform to testify of your faith in Christ. Isn't that interesting? You're being persecuted because of your faith in Christ. But it, as you're being persecuted, it's giving you this platform to, to keep testifying to Christ. And if you need a, a perfect example of that, look at Paul. <laughs> right? Think of how Paul was, you know, the, the, the Jews usually would stir up, you know, and, and get him arrested, right? And then he was, he was drug before different courts, wasn't he? You know, and you, try, you go through the book of Acts, and he's, he's set before one guy, you know, Festus, and, he, and, and he, you know, he testifies to him, and, I, you know, and then Felix or whatever. I may have those backwards, but testifies before him. Then I was especially thinking of Acts 26, King Agrippa, right? You know, King Agrippa is there, and, and, you know, as you read that text, you just get the scene is painted for you that, you know, here's King Agrippa up on his throne and, and Paul being brought in in chains, you know, and think of all the court that's around him, all these people hearing Paul. And what does Paul get to do? He gets to share his whole testimony. He talks about his conversion, personal conversion on the road to Damascus. And then he, he talks about why he's in chains, because he's proclaiming the, the hope of the resurrection through the Jesus who was crucified and risen. In fact, at the end of Acts, toward the end of that in Acts 26, verse 27, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Wow. Persecution gave Paul the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to people who never would have heard it otherwise. 
And who knows who was saved through that? Right? Isn't that what he wrote to Philippians when um, they're concerned about him? And, you know, I mean, about him personally, they're kind of probably bummed about like, wow, you know, this was one of our missionaries and now he's in, he's in prison. And, you know, probably the, the whole gospel's, you know, mission, gospel, mission of the gospel has been put on hold. And he says, no, no, the, God's using it. I mean, now the, um, how does he refer to him? He's talking about the Roman soldiers, right? He's like, the, now the praetorium, now the, the guard is, is hearing about Jesus, you know, they're, they're watching over me. Maybe they're chained to me. They can't go anywhere. And now I'm getting to tell them about Jesus. And you, travel, you track it back to Acts. And remember, he appealed to Caesar. And so I'm guessing, you know, it's not recorded for us. He probably had the same opportunity to do that in Rome before Caesar's court. We know this happens in modern day as well. As we read the Voice of the Martyrs accounts and other ministries like them, they often report that through the testimony of the believers experiencing the persecution, the fact that they continue to confess Christ, even when they're threatened, the fact that they're willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, God works through that to bring even some of their persecutors to faith in Christ. So they're given an amazing platform, right? Suffering itself is a platform. Trials are a platform to, to show how precious Christ is, to show the power and the worth of Christ and especially persecution as a platform. So Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us, this, there's a unique opportunity, a unique testimony that comes through my people enduring unjust suffering and persecution. When Christians are willing to suffer on account of Christ, it powerfully proclaims the truth of the gospel and the worth of Jesus Christ. And so again, depending on in God's providence, whatever situation you find yourself in, if it's, a, if it's a, a boss that, you know, treats you unkindly because of your faith in Christ, how you respond to that or how you handle that, you're, you're proclaiming not only to the boss, you're proclaiming to coworkers around you. As family members, you know, maybe if there's rifts that come be, because of your faith in Christ, the way you handle that, the way you, you in love, keep persevering with them and trying to live at peace with all people the way you stay firm to in your in your confession of christ that testifies to other family members who are aware and watching and knowing what's happening right so god is giving you a platform as they see you suffer for the sake of christ god might cause them to consider christ so that should encourage us to endure persecution divine purpose I exceeded my time limit. <laughs> Some of you paid Caleb off and said, hey, can you? He's been going a little long these last couple of weeks. Can you? Uh... <clears throat> All right, second, uh, what did I say? Second encouragement here to endure persecution. We saw divine purpose, divine help. Verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak and what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Wow. We are never alone when we're suffering. We're never alone when we're suffering for the sake of Christ. You know, you think about those great Old Testament accounts, you know, that portray this so vividly, don't they? Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? 
they're suffering for the sake of Christ or for the sake of their, their faith in, in Yahweh, right? And there's a fourth figure in that fire with them. And when you're suffering for Christ, you are never alone. The Holy Spirit is there with you, helping you. Not only encouraging you, comforting you, giving you strength, but even giving you the words to say. Remember, it's a platform. It's a platform. How are you going to respond to this persecution? Are you going to revile in return? Are you going to shrink back and say, well, no, 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 you misunderstood me. Yeah, you know, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe, you know, what I'm... Or are you going to, in love, say, you know, Jesus is Lord, and I, I, I love him, and he, he gave his life for me, and now I have given my life to him. And God's going to help you do that. Because I, in our own strength, we're, we're weak, right? In our own strength, we're, we'll, we'll shrink back. We, we'll, get, uh, we'll get afraid. We won't say what we need to, or, or we won't speak up at all. But you look throughout church history and how were so many people able to testify to Christ when, when being faced with the sword or the, or the torches or the animals because God was there giving them strength. And God is the same today. And so God will, will help us. He'll help us give a reason for the hope that is in you with all gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15 it's important that we endure, right? It's important that we endure. We see that here in the text. Jesus says only those who endure to the end will be saved, right? Um, the, he's, he's not talking about physical salvation because then that would even really make sense. But he's, he's saying perseverance is necessary for your final salvation. That's in. It's in God's hands how that ends, right? If it ends us dying as a martyr, if he delivers us from that and we just end up dying another way, that's in God's hands. But the Bible's clear. We are to persevere. We have to cross the finish line. We have to keep following Christ to the end. And praise God, we know that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And that we're saved by God's grace. And it's God's grace that will not only help us testify, but will help us keep enduring the trials, keep enduring the persecution to the end. And so let me just close with thinking about the gospel. Let me read for you 1 Peter chapter 2. This passage just kept coming to me again and again as as I was studying the text. 1 Peter chapter 2. In the context of unjust suffering, the Apostle Peter writes, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Praise God for the gospel. Praise God for our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who suffered for us, who, who was persecuted to the point of death on the cross to pay for our sins, to pay for our rebellion, to even pay for the times when we have shrunk back. And so knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that we are loved by God, knowing that he dwells in us and now he is keeping us, we're enabled then and empowered to follow his example, to follow Christ's example of trusting God, of, of suffering without uh, returning evil for evil, and of testifying to Christ to the glory of God. So may God give us that opportunity to further his name. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for our Lord Jesus Christ, and we do praise you for his, who he is and his love your, your gracious plan of salvation that you sent him to come and rescue sinners like us from our sin and our rebellion. And we know that, yes, the light of the world came into this dark world and he was rejected and, and crucified, but it was, it was in that rejection and through that rejection that you had sovereignly planned our salvation because it was through him suffering and dying on the cross that he bore our sins and died in our place and rose again having paid in full the punishment that our sins deserve. And we praise you that he was obedient to the point of death so that now his perfect righteousness is credited to us who are united to him in faith. And I pray, Lord, first for any here today who don't know him as Lord and Savior, who have never confessed Jesus as Lord. I pray that today was a reminder of what it means to be a Christian, that being a Christian is not just going to church or being in a Christian family, but that it is, it is confessing Christ and walking with him. And so may you give them the, the grace to do that today. And Lord, I pray for all of us who are your your people, Lord, whom you've already saved, I, I pray that you will help us to, to follow you, help us to follow you wholeheartedly. And Lord, what, help us to follow you no matter what it costs us. I thank you for the clear teaching today and knowing what to expect that it does cost something to follow Jesus. And we know it cost our Savior his very life. And so may you give us opportunity to, to proclaim the truth about Jesus this week. And by our lives and by our, our words, may we testify to the fact that Jesus is Lord. And may you be pleased to be glorified through that and even to draw many to yourself through that testimony. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand, please? And let's uh, close out our worship by singing a song of praise.